Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to Asking for a Friend. My name is Katrina Boffard, and I'm a clinical sexologist and psychotherapist. This podcast provides you with evidence-based information and real-world advice about getting to know yourself better sexually, and it covers all those topics that we would rather ask about for a friend. Just a warning, this podcast may contain conversations of a sexual nature and isn't suitable for kids. In this week's episode, I talk to my colleague and friend Kate Moyle about how anxiety affects our sex life. Kate is a COSRIT accredited psychosexual and relationship therapist and a certified psychosexologist. She hosts the Sexual Wellness Sessions podcast and is a regular media contributor in the UK on the subject of sex, relationships and sexual well-being, including being a therapist on the BBC show Sex on the Couch. Kate and I met many years ago thanks to Instagram and realized very quickly how our thoughts and approaches in working in sexual health were very similar and that we were both particularly passionate about the topic of sex and anxiety. Kate, thank you so much for joining me on Asking for a Friend today. Um, And I can't wait to chat to you and ask all about how anxiety and sex just do not go well together. They really don't. I mean, anxiety and arousal are almost worst enemies. <laughs> I, I, I think they're arch enemies, basically. It's the unhappiest marriage you could possibly have between, <laughs> <laughs> between two concepts. So tell me a little bit about um, the different types of anxiety that, that you see in, in the clients that you work with that comes up around sex. Yeah, so um, I work as a psychosexual therapist and I would say the most common form of anxiety that gets presented in the therapy room is what we call performance anxiety. Um, Typically, this is often described um, as taking place more with the men, but it's also something I see that women are struggling with. And it's about the anxiety and the pressure to sexually perform. And a lot of this gets entangled up with um, erectile dysfunction. And I think that the pressure on people is hugely about this desire to kind of impress to get sex right to do it perfectly to tickle the boxes and what we all know in our everyday lives when we're kind of logically thinking and breaking it down is there isn't this perfect version of sex but in the moment it's the thing that we all get hooked up on or we all get stuck on um and then we also have anxiety leaking in from other parts of our lives So it might be that we're kind of feeling highly stressed or highly anxious about work or about life or about health, you know, whatever there is going on. We're obviously in a pandemic at the moment. There's a huge increase in generalized anxiety and uncertainty in the unknown. And when we struggle to switch off, that can leak into our sex lives and can interrupt us being able to turn on as well. So I think that we see when it comes to sex, a real mix of kind of specific sexual anxiety but also generalized anxiety impacting our sex lives. And also that doesn't tap into things like stress and anxiety worries about body confidence, about pain, um, about relationships. So, so there's a lot that can, can interrupt. There's so many different types of anxiety, um, as you've mentioned. But something that I find quite interesting is that often my clients don't even recognize they're anxious when they first come to see me. They haven't quite 
realized that perhaps there is some generalized anxiety outside of the bedroom that's filtering in and affecting their sexual experience or that there's anxiety that already exists within the bedroom is that something that you also see with your clients yeah absolutely and I think that sometimes when we unpack what's going on in therapy you know one of the big parts of my therapy process is a history take is kind of understanding where people are now but you know, the experiences they've had, what growing up was like, you know, a lot of those messages can tie into where we are today. But I think when we're unraveling it all, we can sometimes start to see that there might have been something like being passed over for a job promotion, which caused anxiety. And then actually the first occurrence of, say, sexual dysfunction or sexual anxiety or struggling with sex happened in the day or days following that. And actually when we realize that those things are tied together, that can be quite a big moment for people. And I think that the other thing that I see quite a lot is working with people where sex has been tied up with a problem or a difficulty. For, for example, I work with lots of couples who have experienced miscarriage. And so then the idea of getting back to having sex again, intercourse, penetrative sex again, can feel really scary because it's become associated with pain or disappointment, physical pain, emotional pain. And it's because the definition of sex for them has changed, but what they don't realize is that they're relating to it differently as a concept. So what that means is that sex, instead of being kind of categorized as fun or pleasurable or enjoyable, has almost got recategorized as stressful or painful or difficult or emotionally challenging. And then we relate to it differently. But it's often something that we don't you know, consciously realize that we've done. I think that's so, so accurate. You know, we so often don't recognize the impact that something else in our life is having on another part of our life, sex being it. And how, you know, we, we don't sometimes want to know or want to acknowledge that we're feeling really anxious and that our definition of sex, as you say, has changed and our, our experience of sex has changed. You know, what, what effect would anxiety have on sex, you know, on our, on our sexual response? Let's, let's start there before we look at like maybe the, the emotional side of the impact of that anxiety. Well, we absolutely know that anxiety can completely interrupt sexual functioning or what we call as, you know, describe as normal sexual functioning. Um, because we see that when people are highly stressed, that men struggle to get erections, that women struggle to lubricate, that there is less blood flow to those areas of the body. Um, so the physical side of it is that we might have increased um, you know, adrenaline levels or cortisol levels, so the stress hormone. But the psychological aspect of it is also that we are distracted by feeling anxious, by feeling stressed, by what's going on in our bodies. We're not trusting that our body is going to work the way that it is. And essentially when we're in a, an anxious state, we are worried about like what's to come. We're worried about the future. And so we aren't in that relaxed, kind of calm, you know, aroused state of sexuality. We are in or preparing for the kind of flight fight freeze response and 
when we're in that space, I mean, it's, it's, I always say to my clients, if you think about it like a scale, if anxiety goes up, the ability to respond sexually goes down. And if the anxiety Mm. is low, you're able to let go. And since sex is all about letting go, then your ability to respond sexually goes up. The anxious system the you know, fight, flight, freeze response and the sexual system can't function at the same time. And I, I will often say to my clients, you know, if, if you can hear the baby's crying and it's pulling your attention away and you're worried that the baby's not okay or the, your little one is going to walk into the room, if you can hear a funny noise outside, even if you were sexually aroused before and really in the moment, that's going to pull your, your ability to focus on sex and be in the moment and let go, that's going to shift that entirely. So as two systems, as we said at the start of the podcast, they're like the unhappiest married couple in the world because one can't exist while the other is, is active, so to speak, Mm. is at play. Um, And I think, you know, something that I see a lot is the, almost the secondary effect that that anxiety, if once it's affected the physiological sexual response has on the psychological ability to get aroused. It's, as you've just mentioned, it's that, that really vicious cycle and it's the anticipation of being anxious that can lead to further anxiety or further sexual pain or further performance anxiety. And it really is quite a vicious cycle, isn't it? It really, really is. And I think you know, the thing to also add to the point you just made is that our brain will always prioritise anxiety, will always pick anxiety because it is a survival function. You know, without it, we wouldn't be here. Um, so however hard we try, that kind of automatic response will happen. Now, what we can do is we can learn to kind of work on our understanding of why it's happening and what's going on. But we can't kind of get rid of an anxiety reaction because it is a survival function. Um, absolutely. But absolutely the vicious cycle is we are expecting anxiety to come, which means we're expecting to struggle, which means we're expecting to, and the word that I find lots of people use, kind of not my word, but fail. Mm. Um, and that actually the anticipation of that happening is almost preventative in us even stepping into the arena. We tend to kind of think, actually, do you know what I'd rather avoid? Avoid being, you know, a really natural human instinct, this situation completely, rather than try it again and it go wrong in the way that I expect it's going to. And so what we know about anxiety is that one of the um, ways to deal with it is to approach. So we have to go towards the source of our anxiety to familiarize ourselves with it, to learn about it, to kind of rebuild our relationship with it, to manage those feelings. But that can feel like the hardest thing to do. And it's one of the things that we do in therapy a lot. But the most natural instinct is just to avoid, just to shut it down, walk around it, just kind of change the plan. Um, And it's really difficult because I think the way of breaking that vicious cycle is working towards the thing that we're fearing the most. Mm, I, I think so too. And something that I, I will say to my clients in the beginning stages of therapy, which probably only makes sense later on, is that it's always worse in your head than it is in reality. So we always mm. 
over exaggerate or catastrophize the outcome of a situation because our brain is preparing us to get away or to get rid of that feeling. And nobody likes feeling anxious. I mean, as human beings, we are expert in trying to get rid of our anxiety, which as you've mentioned is, it's not possible. I mean, if we didn't have anxiety, we would get hit by cars all the time. We would, you know, stand in front of the yellow line at the tube platform we would leave our windows and doors open at night and anybody could walk in. We need some level of anxiety to keep us safe. But sex and anxiety, again, are a pair that don't go well together. And managing that anxiety in the sexual space, as you said, approaching it and actually going towards it, which is counterintuitive, is the only way to work in overcoming that anxiety. But it, you, you mentioned failure just now and... Um, I think, you know, that's something I see all the time, the fear of failing or the fear of, of rejection or the fear of, of being found out as inadequate or not good enough. And these are kind of all of the underlying belief systems that I see that anxiety kind of latches onto. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, in the work that you do with clients, one, if that's something that you're seeing as well, but two, you know, what, what would be some of the ways you would work with those kind of beliefs that, say, for a man who has been struggling with um, erectile dysfunction during, you know, sexual encounters with a partner, when he constantly believes that oh, I'm going to fail, so what's the point? And that's just avoids and avoids. And so it becomes this, as we've been saying, this really vicious cycle. Tell me a little bit about how you would go about addressing some of those difficult beliefs we might hold that anxiety is just adding fuel to the fire of. It's such a big question, isn't it? <laughs> I, I employ a lot of kind of cognitive behavioral therapy techniques in my practice. And what this is, is kind of addressing what we call negative automatic thoughts. And I think it's worth also remembering that humans have quite a negative bias. So a bit like you give, get given 10 pieces of feedback at work, all saying you did a great job. And then someone comes in and says, mm, I didn't like this or this wasn't good enough what's the bit that you take home with you? You know, the one piece of feedback which wasn't perfect, you know, the, the bit that you didn't do or what it wasn't perceived to have done the best on. And it's that negative bias kind of is there, but we talk about these kind of thought patterns or things like um, all or nothing thinking, um, catastrophizing, overgeneralizing, um, worst case scenario, kind of, future proofing, future reading. And we understand that actually what we're doing is we kind of try and jump ahead in our thoughts. We're trying to work out like what's going to happen so that we can manage the emotions that go with that. So one of the things that I do in therapy a lot is we work through those different types of thoughts. So an example of a man struggling with erectile dysfunction could be um, we're going to go home together tonight and I'm not going to get an erection and she is going to think that I am a failure and we're never going to go on a date again. And that's very kind of fixed thinking. Yeah. And it tends to be, I talk a lot about it being kind of like tunnel vision. Um, and so one of the things that I do is I try and help people I'm working with to break away from that tunnel vision. So to invite other perspectives, to think of other ways that it might go. Um, a lot of that thinking, for example, doesn't even involve the other person or any number of possibilities about other 
the way that other person might react or what they might say or what might happen. And it also is assuming that the dysfunction is going to occur or that the challenge is going to be there. So that setting yourself up to fail thing is, is very common, I would say. I definitely agree. And uh, it's funny, isn't it? As as human beings, we do tend to lean far more towards the negative for most of us than we do the positive. And so it's the, what if I can't get it up tonight? And my response to people is, well, well, what if you do? Or what if you don't, but you still end up having the most fantastic time with this person? Mm. So we always tend to lean towards the negative and the, the catastrophic what if, but we never think about the possibility of a more positive what if. Very rarely do we do that. And, you know, you mentioned some of those unhelpful thinking patterns like black and white thinking and catastrophizing and overgeneralizing and, you know, just engaging with incredibly negative, unhelpful thoughts. And like you, so much of the work that I do is helping people to challenge that very fixed view, that tunnel vision, that black and white, it's either this or it's that, there's no in-between perspective on things, in broadening their view of what sex could be and what it, 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 it could feel like and what that, could experience, what that experience could be like for them. So would you say in the last... I don't know, in the time that you've been working as a psychosexologist, would you say that you've seen an increase in anxiety, um, in presentations of anxiety and and how that affects sexual response in your practice? Do you think people are experiencing as much anxiety that they did when you kind of started this work? What's been your experience of that so far? And, And I do recognize that COVID and lockdown has brought a whole different type of anxiety Mm. into the bedroom. So maybe we can just exclude that for a moment and touch on it just now. Um, Yeah, I absolutely think that anxiety is one of the primary reasons that in some way, shape or form, people come to my therapy practice, people seek out therapy. Um, For me, I expect or I the way I look at things is that there is at some level always anxiety there now it might not be kind of acute sex isn't working anxiety it might be as I mentioned kind of earlier about body confidence it might be about fear of failure it might be about self-confidence self-esteem sexuality religion culture expectation that there is no kind of stone unturned where anxiety isn't underneath it in some way um i think that also we live in a very you know online driven world that our technology our online lives are completely kind of intertwined with our in real life lives now um, with our identities and that that comparison culture that comes up as a result of that has a lot of responsibility for where people are at in terms of kind of not accepting themselves for where they are but constantly comparing themselves against other people and this isn't kind of technology bashing in any way there's a lot of benefits of technology and I think we see a lot of good in the internet as well but I think that we have this kind of grass is always greener approach or kind of metaphorically like looking through the window into like 
something better. And actually what that does is it kind of continuously creates a sense of chasing something or trying to achieve something when actually we could be really positive and really happy about kind of where we are now. And I think that a lot of what I'm talking about ties into kind of the mindful sex movement and mindfulness exercises, which we know are a big part of our practices as psychosexologists. Um, but that trying to help people to kind of be in the moment and not focus on what's going to happen in the future, but taking things kind of moment by moment at the time. Um, and I think that anxiety just is very present a lot at the moment. You know, as you mentioned, um, we are in a pandemic, which is kind of has created a whole sense of anxiety, but it feels difficult to escape from that. And so for me, I also don't expect that suddenly people can kind of close the door on the rest of their worries and go into their sex lives without some of that following them through because our sex lives are integrated into the rest of our lives and they aren't this kind of separate beast. So Kate, I mean, I could not agree with you more about that comparison culture that you mentioned. And like you, I have seen an exponential increase in in anxiety in the bedroom. And something that's so interesting that I hear quite often from clients is, oh, my friend and their partner said they're having lots of sex or all my guy friends are having lots of sex and they seem to be able to get erections. Why can't I? Or I seem to be the only woman in my group of friends who can't have sex because I've got sexual pain. And that, that, that comparative point is so dangerous because what we're hearing in a group of friends and what we're seeing online on social media, you know, what we're reading in a magazine article is very rarely the reality of what it is that we may or may not experience during sex. And I mean, it's a whole other topic, but I don't think that our sexual education prepares us for the fact that sex doesn't look like it looks like in the movies. It doesn't just happen, you know, penis and vagina, ejaculation and baby. It, it's not just that. And I don't think we are sufficiently prepared for the fact that uh, very often for almost all of us, we will experience some type of sexual difficulty at some stage in our life. Yet we think that what we're seeing online and what we're hearing from other people is is reality when I think from what you and I see in our practice and we're both fortunate to you know be full almost all of the time because there are so many people who are experiencing difficulties with sex in some way shape or form I don't think that what they're hearing is very realistic um, but it also lends itself to, to wanting to chat to you a little bit about these expectations we place on ourselves sexually or that others place on us, our partner perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I think that so much of it is in our expectations. And I feel anyway that there is such a big gap in expectations and reality of sex and what we expect from sex. And I think that that's where the biggest problem is. Uh, and a big part of where I think the problem lies in that is that the way that we are educated about sex, the way we ta are taught about sex is very heteronormative, very linear, very kind of reproduction focused. Um, you know, I know that particularly, you know, the sex education when we were at school was very much about kind of this is what goes there and this is how to get pregnant, not get pregnant. And this is about STIs. and you know, there's so much more to sex than that. But the reality is 
it's these models of sex that kind of we've always, I suppose, had kind of have lent on or have been taught about or the definition of sex in itself, kind of PIV, penis in vagina, is very limiting to lots of people's sexual experiences. And I think, again, this is where anxiety plays a big part because if we think that there's only kind of one meaningful or inverted commas real version of sex available to us and that's not the type of sex we like it's not the type of sex we can have it's not the type of sex we're currently able to have because of health or dysfunction or injury or medication then there is something so problematic in the fact that we're saying to people you know well that doesn't count (laughs) and if people feel that there are no other options on the table for them and nothing else they can do, then of course that's going to cause a huge amount of worry and concern. I, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, it's, it's, this, it's this myth I'm constantly having to bust. Like, you know, the expectation versus the reality of it. But also, you know, I think, and maybe, you know, it's a little segue, but, you know, I think people's expectations of what someone like yourself or what I do for a living is very different from what we actually do. We spend the majority of our sessions with our clients helping them to challenge the way they think about sex, their perspective about sex or on sex, you know, so that they can experience a or have a new experience with sex rather than getting them to swing from the chandeliers and use nipple clamps (laughs) yeah i think (laughs) yes um i think people probably would think my job is a lot more boring (laughs) than it is when you put it like that um but yeah i'd say the biggest you know the biggest foundation of being a psychosexual therapist is education um is breaking down myths, challenging negative beliefs and education and normalizing, you know, normalizing kind of being almost the the kind of sign above the door. Um, And, you know, the normalizing aspect being there is no normal, that there is no magic formula for sex. There is no, okay, if we learn this, then I'll be great at sex forever and sex that I have will be great forever because it's something that happens between different partners and with every different partners it's going to be different so there can't be a universal formula now we can be better educated on what works and understand bodies and understand what we like and what our partners like but communication is also a huge part of that but I think that the the kind of undoing of so much that is negative in our sexual culture or education culture or understanding does play a big part. And, you know, we are moving to a much more kind of sex positive culture, but there's a lot of history and a lot of historical struggles that need working on. I I absolutely agree with you again. I'm agreeing a lot with you, I guess you and I, we know (laughs) that you and I think very similarly. um, And that's why we, we like working together. We love working together, I think. And um, we like each other very much as people too. But yeah, we do. So let, let's, let's then talk, you know, I mean, there are, so many, there are so many reasons why anxiety comes up in relation to sex um, or how anxiety gets into bed with us without us realizing it. So what are some of the ways that you help people to manage that anxiety? 
Mm. I mean, for me, I want to help people understand where the anxiety might be coming from. So without sounding kind of very Freudian and psychoanalytic about it, I do talk to people a lot about their childhoods, a lot about growing up, a lot about what things were like. Because if someone has kind of carried with them a sense of not feeling good enough, for example, so a lower self-esteem, then it doesn't really come as a surprise that when you get to a more intimate, vulnerable, potentially kind of exposing, um, scary space, which is sex, which is intimacy, that those fears can be intensified or we they set the platform, I suppose, for things not being really solid and secure and confident. And can so, I just interrupt you there mm. and say something? You know, I think there is this stereotypical view that, you, you know, you're going to go see a therapist and they're going to start asking you about your childhood and mom bash or dad bash or be, be the parent police, as I had somebody mm. say it once in a therapy session. But actually knowing about your childhood and how you learnt about sex in your childhood. Did you ever see your parents having sex? What was your parents' relationship like with you? You know, how was sex spoken about? Were there negative messages around sex? Were, you know, was sex not spoken about at all? Were there no messages? Because that can be as, as, as detrimental mm. as well. I, I think, unfortunately, therapists can get a bad rep um, with this view of, oh, they just want to bash my mother. But it's actually not about that, but making sense of our clients and their stories that help us to help them um, that I thought maybe was just really important for me to, to share that with our listeners as to why it is that we need to know about your, you as a child and your story. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's not even just in the learning about sex and relationships part it's just in the general picture and you know I describe my clients to my clients to those I'm working with that it's like me putting the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle in place it gives me a clearer picture and even if one part of the story is you know that far kind of top right corner that still clears the picture up for me or adds you know, detail to the picture or adds colour to the picture and that that is understanding. And I think that understanding how people understand themselves is a big part of how anxiety can roll into sex. But we also know that it might be that people have had experiences that haven't gone well or have been negative or they may have struggled with a condition associated with pain they might have body confidence around their genitals or body confidence in general, um, that they may in some way feel embarrassed of their genitals or what they look like or what they smell like or being naked in front of another person, that there are kind of fears about performance or how they're going to be, fears about lack of experience or that their partner might be more experienced by them, that they might never have had a sexual experience, that they might be confused about their sexuality. They're, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And really, we can become anxious about, about anything. Um, but for me as well, it's understanding the way that people think. So, for example, if someone has had a general sense of not being good enough throughout their life or has struggled with low self-esteem or low confidence, they're not suddenly going to change into a really confident, completely different you know, person, because they're in a sexual situation, those fears and anxieties are still going to be there. 
And I, I think, you know, you were very right in saying that understanding one's childhood and, and all of the experiences that you've had, and it, it, it gives us the whole picture of who you are. And yeah, it's not just going to change you know, your personality is not just going to change overnight from being somebody who worries a lot to somebody who doesn't worry at all. That's very, very mm -hmm. unrealistic. So going back to those kind of techniques or strategies or practical tips you'd give to your clients to manage anxiety, I know you mentioned mindfulness earlier, and that's something I use extensively in my practice. Um, can you go into those a little bit? Yeah, so mindfulness, um, I just actually interviewed Laurie Brotto, Dr. Laurie Brotto, who is one of the top researchers in this area and she talked about how mindfulness is the pairing of being moment by moment so paying attention moment by moment and compassion so kind of being kind to yourself so kind of um acceptance and recognition of like where you are rather than looking at the anxiety or focusing on the anxiety and be like no 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 not now go away kind of this can't happen because that gives it more attention. So it's very much the kind of art of noticing like what's going on in your body. And um, I often talk to people that I'm working with about practicing and developing it outside of sex as a practice before taking it into the bedroom. So for example, when you're in the shower, running through the five senses and like checking in with them, what it does is it grounds you in the moment what we know is that where we direct our attention or our awareness is that we experience kind of more fully. We experience our bodies differently. So I suppose mindful sex is about the way that we are sexual and the way that we are thinking about sex. Whereas we might not physically be doing anything different, but our approach to sex it is changed. Um, one of the other things that I do is a lot of, as I mentioned earlier, cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. So challenging negative automatic thoughts, challenging negative ways of thinking, challenging our belief systems. A part of this might be understanding our scripts and our narratives, and that might tie into our personal history or understanding what our lives have been like and what our experiences have been like. And so what we can do is sometimes treat our thoughts like they're facts and we have to sometimes step away from them hear someone else talking about them and recognize that actually when they aren't kind of internalized and just us telling ourselves them that actually they might be alternatives that there might be other possibilities but it can be really hard to do that if it's just us talking to ourselves and that's what we've got to go on um, I agree with you and, and kind of bringing that thought challenging in with the mindfulness um, is for me is comp being compassionate towards ourselves like we would to a friend. I mean, if we mm. spoke to our friends the way we speak to ourselves, we'd be very lonely people because we wouldn't have any friends. But yet, <laughs> but yet we, we think it's okay to, you know, criticize ourselves and just be quite brutal, you know, mm. with ourselves and what we expect of ourselves and not being good enough or us failing or, you know, how could we do that? We're so stupid and how detrimental that can be. And, you know, the practice of mindfulness, um, what research shows us is that, yes, being in the present moment, moment by moment is important, but it's actually the non-judgment and the compassionate mm -hmm. part that has the greatest results um, and leads to the greatest change, especially in sex therapy. And when I was um, 
I was at a conference in Mexico last year where Laurie Brotto was, and we, we spent some time chatting about this. And I think that's a big misconception about mindfulness. You know, when people hear this buzzword or they've had workshops at work or um, team building things with mindfulness, they think it's simply about paying attention to the present moment um, and focusing on the here and now, but it's actually more about when you get distracted and when you drift off to think about the groceries during oral sex, that you bring yourself back gently and with compassion to say, that's okay, got distracted, right, what was I doing? Oh my goodness, you know, that touch feels so fantastic, that feels so good, I'm really enjoying the way that my partner's doing that. Just bringing them back and challenging those negative thoughts you may or may not have um, about a sexual encounter through cognitive behavioral techniques and through compassionate approach as well. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So I know that with my clients, there's this funny thing that happens also that the more you know, the easier it is to let go of things. And even just, you know, you mentioned it earlier that so much of our work as psychosexologists is is educating people um, with with the real with real evidence with real facts that we don't mm. often get given or that Google lies to us about, um, and just having people understand the the process of anxiety and what that does to the body and how it shuts down the sexual system so that we can be ready to fight, flight, or freeze um, is also something that's really, really helpful, I've found, just helping people to to understand the process of anxiety better. And I don't know if you have any metaphors that you use that help people understand their anxiety or any stories that you use that help people to relate to the process of what goes on in their body when they feel anxious. Um, Well, we do a lot of kind of, um, I suppose, like worksheets, you know, have a big um, sketchbook in my office. I do a lot of drawings with people, a lot of kind of understanding. But the best thing that someone ever um, told me or I think I heard it on a TED talk by a neurologist. It was something definitely um, from a neurologist was that if we think of the back part of the brain, like the, like a horse. So the back part of our brain is the limbic system, the kind of ancient system, the caveman system, the survival system. And the front part of our brain is the human, you know, feeling, thinking, decision-making element. So we have these two parts of the brain kind of constantly working together, but if the horse, which is the back of the brain, bolts, so that's the anxiety, the kind of panic happening, then the rider, which is the front part, can either calm it down or can keep it panicked. So what we can do is if we notice that jolt of anxiety that sometimes happens, that automatic reaction, you know, a bit like if a, there was a loud bang and a horse kind of jolted and was kind of jumping around, then the rider can either also panic and be kind of, like, oh God, what's happening? Um, I'm not sure. Okay, like kind of, you know, in that kind of slightly frenzied state, then obviously the horse is going to continue to bolt. Whereas if the rider's like, okay, it was a misfire, don't worry, or it's just a door slamming, calm down. Everything will be okay in a minute. Let's just take a deep breath. You know, automatically that's sending a different signal. But I think one of the things that we develop in psychosexual therapy a lot is that kind of bringing that frontal brain bit online bringing that frontal brain bit into play more making sure it has a louder voice so we can never turn off anxiety reactions but what we can do is we can learn how to deal with them when we understand them a bit better 
that's exactly what I do. And, and I love your, your horse and bolting analogy. And I use the one of the guard with the guard dog where the back part of the brain, the emotion part of the brain is the guard dog that barks when it hears the slightest noise coming past. And it's kind of always alert. And the guard is the front part of the brain, as you mentioned, thinking systems, the kind of prefrontal cortex that is rational, logical, reasonable, that's able to make sense of situations, that's able to say, you know, now, now there's nothing to worry about. It's okay. Um, but sometimes, that that dog or that horse bolts and gets away with us and it's in those moments that it's not about trying to get rid of your anxiety that actually you need to manage your anxiety in that moment mm. um you know through use, using something like your five senses like what can you see what can you hear what can you smell what can you taste what can you feel um you know, I do something with my clients where I get them to describe an object in the room as if they were describing it to somebody who couldn't see and they have to describe mm. it in great, great detail. You know, um, doing things like this um, can really help just bring that level of emotional reaction down so that we can bring back up the ability to think logically and rationally and clearly. So, Kate, I, I end every episode um, with a simple question to my guests about, um, you know, in working in this field, um, what's been the most surprising thing you've learned within the realm of anxiety and sex? Oh my God, that's such a big question. Um, what is the most surprising thing? That perception is everything or perception changes everything. And I think that it was something I never understood as fully before I started training in this field and actually how our mind is the most powerful organ and, you know, our perception of what's going on, whether it is, you know, actually threatening to us or not, if our brain perceives it, perceives it to be that way, then that is how we're going to react. And I think that neuroplasticity so the idea that we can you know the brain can change and we can the brain that changes itself we can retrain the brain is possible but takes work um is a huge part of that but i think that recognizing that that change in perception so for example sex going from fun pleasurable enjoyable intimacy to you know, scares the life out of me to threatening, scary, anxiety provoking, stressful, um, avoid at all costs, that that can happen so quickly. Yeah, I, I think so too. And again, to reiterate what we were talking about earlier, when that's happening, there is actually a need to go towards that rather than away from it because avoiding it doesn't get us anywhere quickly. Um, we actually have to face those fears that we're holding on to in order to move through it and forward. Kate, I could continue talking to you for hours and I'm sure we're going to talk again on asking for a friend about lots of wonderful different topics, but I want people to be able to access your work because you do some brilliant stuff. You've got your own incredible podcast, which I love. And I send to colleagues and friends and clients, um, your sexual wellness sessions. Can you just tell us a little bit about your own podcast and then where people can reach out to you and find, uh, and find you? Yeah, so the sexual wellness sessions um, is just kind of halfway through its first series. 
is a series of interviews with different experts in the field of sexual and relationship health, well-being. Um, we've covered everything from fantasies to desire to infertility and sex to erectile dysfunction to a sex positive mindset to asexuality the list goes on and um, but really they are intended to be informative but informal conversations about improving sexual well-being and sexual wellness and they can be found on apple podcasts and spotify and then my website is my name which is katemoyle.co.uk and i'm on instagram at katemoyletherapy well thank you and um i hope we'll get to speak again soon got a question you'd like to ask for a friend reach out to me via my website or instagram and i'll be sure to include it in a Q&A episode soon you can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and if you've enjoyed this episode please rate and review it